I'm Carrie Brett, and this is Shot at Love. Today's guest is Dr. Duena Welch. She's the best-selling author of the book, Love Factually. Her mission is helping others find the love they want by using science as a guide. Duena has written a series of books filled with relationship advice, but she only writes books that she needed. She became a single mother when her husband's addiction began to spiral. Their son was born with a life-threatening disease, and she realized she couldn't trust her husband to administer the medication. So she left and never came back. She had her child, but nothing else. She left behind her job, home, friends, and the man she loved. Years later, Duana's life transformed. She created a new life, but she never forgot how hard it was. If you've lost a relationship, feel lost, or want to find love, this episode is for you. We come back, Dr. Duana Welch will take us from my wish to I do. Dr. Duana Welsh is an author and coach who applies social science to solve real-life issues. Her books include Love Factually, 10 Proven Steps for My Wish to I Do, Love Factually for Single Parents, and Love Factually Single Series. She's also an expert at the relationship app Paired. She's been a professor at universities in Florida, California, and Texas, and has contributed to NPR, PBS, Psychology Today, Redbook, Huffington Post, and Time, to name a few. She's the only guest ever invited to appear three times on Jordan Harbinger's Art of Charm. Her format blends heart, soul, and science. Duana's story is so inspiring. She has walked through the fire and made it through, and I'm super excited to welcome her to the show today. So without further ado, Dr. Duana Welch, welcome. Oh, Carrie, that is such a warm introduction. Thanks so much. I'm really excited to be on your show. I'm so happy. It's like when you find these birds of a feather <laughs> and we come together, it's just um, such a, a, a great thing that we could connect. And I'm grateful for the show that, that you're here and you're going to share so much amazing knowledge with listeners who really, really need your advice. So let's start why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey and why you're so passionate about helping others? Well, the short version is that I went through a terrible breakup when I was in graduate school, or as we called it, gradual school, where you gradually figure out you want to get out of there and do something else. <laughs> right. And I was studying memory and aging. I was getting a PhD in developmental psychology. So not what I'm doing now, but I went through this terrible breakup and it was on the heels of some other terrible breakups. And I was just feeling like such a failure. I wondered why things weren't going right for me. I was really kicking myself. I would say things to myself like, you know, you seem like a pretty smart person in some other parts of your life, but not so much with this one. And then I just had this moment of insight. It occurred to me that just as I was studying memory and aging, there had to be people who were studying effective, loving relationships and how to find those and keep those. And there were. At that time, it was the perfect time to start looking into that. There started to be just a few years after that textbooks on the topic. And uh, there were a lot of research articles already. So I started reading the research. I Initially, I went to a bookstore and there wasn't a book for me. All the books were opinion-based. And I wanted a book that blended heart, soul, and science. So I ultimately wound up needing to write that myself. 
But first, my goal really wasn't to write a book. It wasn't to have a coaching practice. It wasn't to be on podcasts. My goal was to help myself. And that's what I did. I helped myself. And then people started coming to me, asking me to help them. And that has turned into this wonderful life that I have. And I'm so grateful for. It's amazing how similar our life is as far as finding the information. And that is the sole reason why I started this podcast was because I, like you said, you know, you, you have a PhD, you know, I have a master's in photography. People would be like, what is going on? Like you're a smart and successful person. Why, why are you making these mistakes? Like what's happening? And I think it's just human nature. If you don't know the right ways to do things, then it affects your decision-making process. You know, you're learning and we're all learning. And I love how you find yourself in the bookstore in the relationship section. And you're like crying and looking for the answers. And that was me. I have read, I think, pretty much every dating book imaginable. And it wasn't until one day I'm like crying in my house and literally on the floor, like, please, God, help me. And I heard my computer go, Carrie, Audible, based on your what you like, there's this book, Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl. And that book changed, saved my life, literally. If I didn't find that book, it gave me the blueprint of how to navigate out. And I listened to that book. I can recite it. And so when I read your book, I was like, oh my, this is, you know, I wanted to do like a dissertation on it. I'm like, this is amazing. It's so fabulous. That's why I'm so happy you're here and I'm so proud of you and you're so brilliant. And I just feel like we're going to talk about certain things, but you have to come back because you have so much to offer. So, yeah. So thank God you did make that shift because. Well, ah, shucks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. That's so kind of you to say. And I'm sorry for your struggles, but at the same time, I really identify with them. And in my own journey, there was a particular author, Susan Page, who had written a book called, If I'm So Wonderful, Why Am I Still Single? And it was not science-based, but it was so compassionate, so warm, so caring. And that's what I needed. I needed optimism and stories that I could identify with in addition to the science. And so what I attempted to do in my own work when I eventually did write my first book, Love Factually, 10 Proven Steps for My Wish to I Do, was to take that voice of compassion and that voice of hope and all the stories that I knew that could help people and combine that with what we know for sure describes how successful daters and relators date and relate. Yeah, this is where you're going to really help women because you learned being out there, you know, you combined your science background and then your actual life experience. And then you blend the two in your book, which is amazing. And so how do you tell women, we're going to go through it because I, I really liked your chapter of, of how to choose the right person and, and when to pull the plug and how to play hard to get, all these things. You frame it up very differently than I do, but I'm with you. I love your strength. I love how you decide how this is going to happen for you. But, you know, that that was not always the case. You were a girl just like myself. Like I was a girl who was trying, but, you know, made a lot of mistakes. And I always say I'm the girl who fell down seven times, but got up eight. And 
you made mistakes where you would be having these people like ask you to marry you and you would, you didn't want that. And then the people that you did want to potentially marry that didn't happen, happen either. And, and you've also dodged some bullets. Can you talk about how you got engaged to a man who said he was a lawyer, but was actually a paralegal. And then as time went on, all these things didn't add up. And I, I can tell you a lot of people stay and just like turn a blind eye and don't, and don't end that. So can you talk about that experience a little bit and what you learned? Sure. You're the first person to ask me about this, which intrigues me because I would think that would be a really standout, obvious thing to ask, but apparently maybe people will shy away from it. But yes, when I was a single mother, I briefly was engaged to a man who, I do change some details in, in the book. That wasn't his exact profession, but he did tell me one thing about his profession when it was a very different level of accomplishment that he actually had attained. And, you know, that when somebody does that, that's never the only thing. Right. So it turned out that his family came to visit and I hadn't met any of his friends, um, which should have also been a warning sign to me. I hadn't met any of them yet. And then I started noticing that the stories he had about himself, he was always the victim in all of his stories. He was never the hero. He didn't have any resilience, it sounded like, in his stories. Um, so I tend to make excuses for people, or at least I used to. You know, we need to be compassionate. And so I had made up excuses for why, well, you know, men try to put their best foot forward. And he is in this field, although he doesn't have quite the accomplishments that it sounded like he had. Um, I kind of made an excuse for that. But then his family came to visit, and I had a broken window in my house. It, the pane wasn't broken, but the mechanism that would hold it up when you when you opened it was broken. And this man's brother came to see us, and I was already having serious doubts about the relationship for numerous reasons, and this was just the straw. The man's brother looked at the window, and he goes, yeah, my brother will be right on that. Oh, yeah. See, but there, I, oh, I love this because I actually had a broken window and my things were falling. Or it was like, I couldn't believe the signs the universe was giving me, showing me, Carrie, you have a fractured relationship. You know, mm -hmm. Carrie, the foundation, your house is like falling apart. I had a, a situation where my pipes burst and I mean, it was like, look what's leaking within here. <laughs> mm -hmm. and I just always was fixing, 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 and making excuses, and helping, you know, that's, I did that whole thing, and I think people who have good hearts are targets for this. Yes, exactly. One of the more important relationship questions that I've learned to ask myself, and to have my clients ask themselves, is the crucial question is not, am I right for this person? It's, are they right for me? And if they don't make you feel loved, it's not worth your heart. Yeah, it's, I think that's one thing that women really do. They're so focused on being perfect that they don't take a step back because men, men don't operate that way. Only women do. You know, we're just, you know, it, isn't that, that true? That's <laughs> an, well, that's an interesting statement because I would have thought so, but you know, I continue to self-educate in this field, and it turns out that a lot of what we're discussing right now really maps onto something called attachment style, which is a person's habitual way of being in romantic relationships. And we all have an attachment style that goes all the way back to when we were babies. So this 
starts with our parents, not romantically, of course, but the feeling that we have that the universe is either trustworthy or not comes to some extent from how we were treated when we were very, very small. And then that ball keeps building, it keeps gathering momentum as we go through life. So we get experiences that confirm how we were raised or they might disconfirm it. But this results in a way of viewing relationships and being in relationships. And a style that a lot of people have is called anxious, where if you have that style, and men, some men have the style, although it is more common in women, but I've known men who have this style. You tend to feel that you really want deep closeness with another person, but also you are preoccupied with worrying that it's not going to work out, that if this other person really knew the real you, they wouldn't really love you. And therefore that you have to work really hard to keep this other person's interest or the relationship will go away. And, you know, that that piece of feeling insecure, feeling less than, sometimes feeling less than your partner, worrying that I can never do enough to earn their love. That piece is really, really important to address. And I will tell you the easiest way to address it is to learn what a secure partner looks like and to find a secure partner and accept their love into your life. What happens a lot is that people who have anxiety about love, they learn that love is an erotic high caused by the other person pulling back and then coming closer to them. And they get addicted in a sense, a very real physiological sense, to this coming closer and pulling away, which is extremely painful, but also when the partner comes closer, extremely rewarding. These folks meet secure partners but they dismiss these partners as boring. They could be happy if they just had more information. That's what I love about science is it gives us information that we can use to improve our lives right away. You know, I, I, if I taught a chemistry course, I'm not sure that I could teach you something that would instantly that day improve your own life. But with relationship science, you can leave this podcast instantly improving your own life. And one of those is to learn what secure partnership looks like and pick someone who has the tools to make you happy, even though at first you might think it's a little boring. Right. So I, I find this all so fascinating. And you get used to things being so chaotic and so dysfunctional and that you somehow you put that on yourself, that like this must be something that I'm doing. I really love this part of your book where you're like, look for stable. And I went through this where I only knew living with someone who was just highs and lows, highs and lows, highs and lows. And so when I met my boyfriend, I really, that was a foreign thing to me because he had a job. He, like, I had, it took my very, one of my very best friends to come over and say, you're not making decisions anymore. <laughs> You're making decisions about who you're dating. We've already met him. We all love him. This is someone who's secure and stable, and this is what you want, and this will get, give you a happy life. And tell me about the research that, you know, you can become healthier and more successful, and you can endure hardship and pain if you're with someone who's stable. Yeah, it's really transformative, and I have to hand it to your friends. And for you, 
to you for attracting friends like that, that they knew what you needed and they overrode your habitual patterns in order to help you get what you needed. So what the research shows is that anxious people and avoidant people tend to wind up in relationship again and again and again. And this is a trap. When one person has a very high need for closeness and another person has a very high need for distance, neither person is really going to thrive. They just can't. They're not going to do it. There is a form of therapy called emotionally focused therapy or EFT. If there's anyone out there who's in one of these relationships, wants it to work, doesn't want to give up on it, get yourself an emotionally focused therapist right now and see if you can work it out. But I will say you will always be compromising and getting less closeness than what you really want. That's the reality. Yeah. So So, this is, this is what I learned. So I think I was, and and I really want to do like a whole episode on this stuff because mm -hmm. it, it is a big thing of this, the reason why relationships are just successful or not. But I think I, I mean, I grew up in a very happy, stable home, and I think I was A or number one, and then it wasn't until I had the failed relationships that I became anxious. Why wouldn't I? But what you teach is these guys who are avoidant, that's another way of showing insecurity, just like being in, um, anxious. But those people who just avoid and just pull away, you can't change that. They were the one group you couldn't change. And I, I, that blew my mind. Yeah, where's the motivation? If, if as a human being, you believe that relationships worsen your life, and I'm describing anxious attachment style right now. These are common thoughts and sayings of people, excuse me, avoidant. These are common thoughts of people who have an avoidant attachment style, which, let me be clear, does not mean they avoid relating, does not mean necessarily that they avoid sex. It means that they avoid intimacy. Intimacy is defined, one way of defining it is revealing every aspect of yourself without fearing your loss of identity. Doing that, being genuinely fully open to someone is terrifying to someone who fits the avoidant picture. So they think of relationships as really hard work. They tend to think that partners are always looking to get something from you or trick you or get you to commit when that wouldn't really be in your best interest, their best interest, I mean. they Where would the motivation be for them to change? They want distance, and they are extremely adept at getting it in the context of a relationship. For example, one of the things that an avoidant person might do is refuse to share the same bed or refuse to share the same blanket or refuse to make eye contact during sex, or they just find a million ways to create distance. And what you're looking for, if you are anxious, and you're absolutely correct, Carrie, Both anxious and avoidant people have insecurity. It manifests in different ways. So avoidant people, it manifests in terms of trying to create distance so that I feel safe. With anxious people, it's trying to create more and more closeness so that I feel safe. Both people want safety. And the best shot at getting it is to be with someone secure. And so learning how to identify a secure partner, and I agree, it would be great to do a whole episode on, well, how do you identify someone secure? I agree. agree. That is absolutely crucial. And when you do that, the next crucial step is allowing yourself to accept that this is real, allowing yourself to fall in love with someone rather than get bored because 
many, many anxious people, especially, think that this is boring. It's not. It's stable. It's Learning not. To it's study. not. And, yeah. and I had to learn that myself. And it's peace. And, and it's an yes. environment where you can thrive. And, and, you know, you made such an important point when you talked about how your upbringing was stable. So was mine. I had a secure attachment style, as secure as it could be going into my young adulthood. And then the young, the boy that I had grown up with, who my mom taught in fifth grade, and he was my first everything. And um, we got secretly engaged and we were going to announce it at Christmas when we were both 22. And he left me for another woman and gave my engagement ring to her. And it completely devastated my attachment style. It shook my foundational belief that the world is safe. You know, what I want to emphasize is lots of things happen in the world that aren't safe. If you don't have a secure attachment style, I'm not saying you're wrong. What I'm saying is it's not serving you. Right. What I, what I want for everyone is to have this abiding connection with another person that is the easiest to have if we are able to calmly accept the love that our partner gives, if it's the right kind of love for us. And that is a big question, but you'll figure that out. You'll know. Right. And that the security to know that if the relationship ends, you will survive it. You'll find another love. A, a core belief of anxious partners is that if I lose this relationship, I will never find another one. Mm -hmm. That's a really common belief. And I really want to talk about that belief because it keeps us stuck in relationships that don't make us happy. If you're worried that you'll never be with someone who makes you happy, but you're settling for someone who doesn't make you happy, your fear is actually a reality right now. And you would be better off parting ways with someone who doesn't have the goods and finding someone who does. That person does exist. And if you go through things in a planned fashion and look at this in a new way, you'll get there. That's why I do the work I do. You know, so unfortunately, I am divorced from the person that I wrote about in my in my books. Um, this is pretty recent. We separated just as the pandemic was starting. We didn't realize what that was going to mean. Um, we legally separated and when we divorced during the pandemic. And it was sadly for the same reason that my marriage to my son's father had to end, which was addiction on the part of my partner. Um, in this case, Vic didn't show addiction until seven years into our relationship, which, you know, I, I want to emphasize you can do everything just right. And the other yeah. person still has free will. <laughs> they yeah. still get to make their own choices and their own decisions, including choices and decisions that make a relationship unworkable for you. And yet still it's important to persist. Having love in your life is just too important to give up on. I think wow. it's just too important. Well, I applaud you for your honesty and your bravery to say, you know what? This is a non-negotiable for me, and you you practice what you preach, and and you're just it's just so powerful coming from you because you tell the truth and you're like this is a journey and the but I still know these fundamental things work and I still know the science is there, and and we create you say we create beliefs 
and then we ra- we rationalize them, and we end up mm-hmm. believing things and stories that aren't true, and they mess up our lives. And I, and and you talk about this notice and redirect, and and it's not a failure on your part. I mean, it's like you said, it's it's will, and you and there's sometimes in life there's problems you can't solve, and that's a hard thing to accept, but it's the truth. And one thing that you talk about, which I love, because I did this, I know this to be true. I did not have my ducks in a row, and I found a great healthy relationship, and you had the science to back that up. And I think mm-hmm. oftentimes people will say, like, I'll wait till the pandemic's over or I'll wait till things are more perfect or I'm in this size gene. And life is happening now. It's in this I love part- that you're bringing that up. I love that you're bringing that up. You do not need to wait until your life is perfect to find a partner. Life is messy and secure people don't wait until everything's perfect, actually. I, I really, I was very anxious. And then I got with Vic and I was very secure again. And, you know, then the rug was pulled out from under me again. And I now have, I test at mostly secure, but, but moderately anxious, which is interesting because every secure item pretty much matches me, but a moderate amount of the anxious items also match me on various attachment style tests. And that's to be expected. Your attachment style is not your fault. But your life will be so much easier if you bring someone stable into your life. And don't wait to have everything perfect before you do it. You know, you're going just like you survived your other breakups. If you go through another one, you'll be okay. You really will. Will it be hard? Yes, but you will be okay. And, you know, so another part of my story is I went back and I reread all my own books to remind myself of the plan. Wow. I went back and I reread all of them and I did it in December and I made a deal with myself. I don't usually make New Year's resolutions, but I made a deal with myself that I was going to put up an ad online during pandemic, specifically because I felt it's easier to date effectively during pandemic, given and we can talk about why I yeah. felt that way if you want. You go girl. That's not in that's <laughs> not in any of my books. So let's circle back to that. Why it's not in any of my books, obviously, because they were written pre-pandemic. But I specifically determined, you know what, I'm gonna do it now. And I know that I am still hurting from my divorce, but I also know that I am emotionally detached enough from my former partner to effectively use the tools that I know work. So I put my ad up online on New Year's Eve of 2020. And by January 6th of 2021, I had found the person that I've been with for five months now. This episode of Shot of Love is brought to you by Akal Chai Rum. Akal Chai Rum is the world's first botanical rum. Recognized by the government of Trinidad and Tobago as having the first new production process for rum in over a century. Akal Chai Rum is an officially protected trade secret. Only the second such protected process in the Caribbean since the famed Angostura bitters by Don Carlos Siegert in the 1870s. Akal Chai Rum is available in 44 U.S. states on chairum.com. Also available in the Republic of Ireland on stuffyouneed.com. Try some today. And you know what? Here's the thing, Carrie. If it doesn't work out, I hope it does. 
But if it doesn't... You'll be fine. You're so beautiful uh, and you're so smart. And you you have so much power and you're so strong. And men love smart women, you know? They love women who are like, hey, I could, you know, guess what? If you're not going to be for me, like, there will be tons of people lined up. And I wish people just banked on themselves. And I think when you have setbacks and you make mistakes, you don't trust yourself. And... Mm -hmm. And then your worth, your self-esteem goes. And it's not true. Like you have everything. You always had everything. And so... You, you, yeah, you're enough the way that you are. And I don't even ask people to believe that. I tell my clients to borrow my faith. Most of us don't believe we're enough until we meet somebody else. We're social animals. I think it's a shame that we are emphasizing we culturally shame people for wanting or needing partnership. We tell people that they have to have everything together before they are capable or ready for partnership. And research really goes against that. Research shows that the easiest way to feel better about yourself and to feel that you are enough is to find someone where you're enough. That's the easiest way. There was a scientist named Mavis Hetherington. I love that name, Mavis Hetherington. <laughs> she did a 20-year longitudinal study, it's either 20 or 25, I'm blanking on what, which one, long time either way, called the Virginia Longitudinal Study. And what she was looking at was people who were thinking about getting divorced who really did get divorced. And then she videoed them, interviewed them, um, observed them and their former partners and their children, if any, and any new partners who came on the scene for the next 20 to 25 years. Every year, she did this extensive scientific process with them. And what fascinated me about this study, and Dr. Hetherington, she pulled no punches. She's so, I love how refreshingly direct she is. She said, you know what? All the things that people are telling you that you need to do in order to feel whole and healthy and reintegrated after a serious relationship ends, none of them are true, not one. It's not finding your guru. It's not learning to meditate. It's not getting a therapist. It's not going on an exercise program. It's not getting a dog. It's not going to an ashram. It's not finding yourself. Those things are all good. Those things are all good. But the only thing that Dr. Hetherington found that helped people to feel fully whole, alive, and reintegrated after a serious relationship ended was, I bet you can guess it after all the things I've said. Just going for it and, and trying, right? It was getting into a new healthy relationship. That was it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wasn't even trying. It was get. It was doing it. Even doing if you it. didn't feel ready, even if you didn't feel ready, even if you had low self-esteem, even if you felt like you were carrying too much weight, even if your kids were a nightmare, yeah. you know, damn, damn the torpedoes. Go for it and find that healthy relationship because you are enough. And there's someone out there. I had this strong feeling on New Year's Eve, right when I was posting that ad. And this helped me so much, and I wished I had written about it somewhere. I haven't yet, but I'm going to. I had this feeling that there was a wonderful man out there who had spent years looking for me, and that if I didn't look for him, he was going to be sad. We were both going to be sad. Oh, but see, your beliefs matter. What you think and what you believe is your outcome. I say this all the time, all the time on this show, and people don't believe how powerful what you think 
I mean, it manifests. You're, you're ordering up from the cosmic scene and, sorry, cosmic menu, but that's the thing. I went to every shaman and psychic healer and ashram. No, I did it all. I did it all. And all I had to do was join an online dating site, which I did do. But like, I tried every way to heal myself, but I was fine just the way I was because no one's perfect. Life isn't perfect. And there was the right person out there, but I had to give myself a chance. And so often people don't. So tell me why you think the pandemic is like the, a great time to date and it can help you date smarter and not harder. Absolutely. So two things. One of them first is based on what you just said about um, your beliefs being so important. They are, but a lot of people, if you tell them to change their beliefs, it's not that easy. They can't just change their beliefs. So I want to give you some hope. If you're one of those people who can't just snap your fingers and change your beliefs, and that's most of us, that's okay. You know what? I still don't feel like getting up every morning. I don't feel like getting up until after I'm already up. And this, this, the reason I'm giving you that simple example is science backs up that for most of us, it's not just that our attitudes predict our behaviors. Our behaviors predict our attitudes. Getting up predicts my wanting to be up. My attitude doesn't predict whether I'm going to get up. I have to get up. Yeah. <laughs> my, my behavior predicts how I feel. I feel like being up after I'm up. You might not feel like dating until after you're already dating. You might not feel like being with this secure partner until after you've already found somebody who's steady and reliable and stable. It might be an uphill slog for you, and that's okay. I'm not asking you to really feel differently. I'm asking you to do differently, and your feelings will follow. And this segues into, like you said, it's order up from the cosmic menu, you can either feel a certain way and act on that, or you can act a certain way and then feel that way. Both of them work. And that's really good news. Yeah. So getting to this point of why did I feel so strongly about dating during the pandemic? I knew that dating during the pandemic meant that everyone I met understood that we were going to take things slowly. Huh. I know that men there's a dopamine rise that has to happen for men to fall in love. It's a biological thing that has to happen for them. And if they have sex really, really quickly in a relationship, it turns out that most men's dopamine level crashes. Interesting. They're not able to emotionally bond. If you've ever been with a man who said he was really, really into you and seemed super excited about you and then you had sex and he seemed to lose interest, especially if he seemed confused about losing interest or you felt like he was trying to maintain interest, but he just lost that love and feeling. It probably wasn't that he was a player or a cad or a bad guy. He didn't have any control over his own dopamine levels. So one of the things that really helps is to wait if you want a partnership and not, you know, just to hit it and quit it. If you want to just hit it and quit it, that's fine. I don't have any moral judgment about that, but you're probably not listening to this podcast because, you know, that's fairly easy to accomplish. Just getting, just especially if you're a woman, just getting into something casual is pretty easy. If you're listening today, you're probably interested in something long-term. So having sex quickly is not actually to your advantage. There's not a calendar date for it, but ideally you want to wait until this person is in love with you and has said it and has proven it through his behavior. That's emotionally safe sex. This is especially true if you are a person who tends to become emotionally attached partly as a result of having sex. And that means if you either have 
uh, anxiety about relationships or you're secure both. You know, pretty much people who aren't avoidant, avoidant people like to avoid deep emotional closeness so that they feel safe. Everybody else, secure people and anxious people, we want abiding emotional closeness. And so for us, sex is part of that, which means that a breakup is way harder after we've done the deed than it would have been before we had sex. So one of the reasons I wanted to date during pandemic is I thought, you know what? You guys can't even get within hand-holding distance. It's so- We're going to be masked up and taking a walk. And so things that in the past I would have had to explain about how I don't have sex quickly, I found that now I didn't really have to explain it that much, which was a real gift. I would say to people, you know, for our first meeting, it's going to have to be a socially distanced walk. Also, I was just so laser beam focused. I knew after all my years of doing this professionally and helping other people do it and having my books and having just reread them, I knew what I had to have to make a relationship a going concern. I knew that people are constantly telling us who they are. I knew that when they showed me who they were, I should believe them and not make excuses and not blind myself during the period when asking the hard questions is actually the most sensical and the easiest right up front. Yeah. Asking the hard questions before. And, you know, so I met in the, I wrote my ad saying that it had an ex, expiration date. I said, you know, this ad is uh, good for one month only and all good fit answers will be responded to. So I said, you know, the ad will be taken down on January 30th. Oh, I like that. You gave them a deadline. I did. I wasn't gonna, <laughs> You're going to take gonna it away from them right away. Yep. Yeah. I wasn't going to be on there forever. I was going to, um, this is a new strategy I'm using with clients like it. and it's working very it's, well It's like for sales. I mean, I have a sales background, so it's like, that's very effective. It's like, okay, this is the offer today, but it's going away. So mm-hmm. that's a very effective tool in sales. And I think it's effective in dating. And you, if anyone really has trouble, you think someone's into you and then they're not into you. Your book is amazing for eliminating players and you talk about finding barriers. I never, this stuff is all like new to me. I never even knew like you, you talk about like jealousy and creating competition and playing hard to get. And it is a game. Like, I'm sorry, don't hate the player, hate the game. But what do you, can you talk about, you know, obviously you went back out there and you said, I'm going to play hard to get. That's it. You know, what's interesting is I don't want people to play hard to get. I want them to be hard to get. My idea is I want women to have such a core sense of what they are worth that it is not possible for a man who is not devoted to them to gain this woman's heart and all of her time and all of her sexuality. It's not possible because he hasn't earned it. That's different than playing, it's being. And if I had to rewrite that first book again, which eventually I will have an updated edition of that, I would be a lot more clear about that. I would be a lot more clear that if you don't feel like that's true for you now, fake it till you make it. Borrow my faith and do the things anyway. Because first of all, all of us want to be with someone who's confident. There has never been a perfume called desperation and there never will be. Right. Second of all, you really are worth loving just the way you are right now. Just the way you are right now. You don't have to change to be worthwhile. 
Third, you have a life and nobody should be able to walk into that life and take 100% of your time, your attention, your sexuality if he hasn't shown first that he is devoted to you, that he's into you, that he cares about how you're doing, that he loves you. And not just show you he loves you the way that he loves, but the way that you need to be loved. You should be able to say, here's what it here's what it looks like when somebody is showing me what I need in order to feel loved and he should step up. And if he doesn't, he's probably avoiding, you know, a lot of women are afraid to say that. And I will tell you, every time you tell someone what you really need, you get good information. Here's why. If you say, here's what I need in order to feel safe and loved. And this guy doesn't step up. You've saved yourself a ton of time and heartbreak. I agree. On the other hand, if you say that, a secure man says, all right, I'm there. This right. doesn't mean that you are leading the relationship. He still needs to do certain things by usually being the first to reach out, by expressing love the first usually, by initiating most of the contact, by making a lot of the plans, by making a lot of effort. And what's great about that is when he's doing that, it's not just that the recipient of these attentions knows that she is valued. It's that the originator of these intentions, the man, knows that he's interested in order to emotionally bond with you. And that's, I don't even call it a game. It's the human mating ritual. If he has to drive an hour and a half to see you and he finds that he's not into you, he will stop driving an hour and a half. And you know what? Good. You don't want somebody who, if he lived next door to you, would have used your time up because it was convenient, would have used your time and your sexuality for a year and a half or two years while he never really loved you. You want someone who loves you. And yeah. how you tell that is he jumped over some barriers. And those barriers are things like you insist on a phone call and not a text. Avoid low-cost signaling. Low-cost signaling is anything that a man could do that he could do with 30 other people in the next five minutes, and it wouldn't have cost him really any effort at all. That doesn't tell him that he loves you. What tells him he loves you is he worked to get into your presence, and once he was there, he had a good time. So I tell great. my clients, yeah, I tell my clients, texting is lame. Texting is for after you're in a relationship, not while you're getting it started. And again, I do follow my own advice. When I was dating back in January, and I want to tell you why I set that one-month barrier, it was partly because I thought, you know what, a scarcity mentality is a good thing. I'm, I'm only going to be here for a month, and I should say that because men who are looking at my picture and thinking, should I, shouldn't I, they will connect with a sense either that this is worth the risk to them or that it's not. And it. they will do it quickly. And I wanted that. Another reason that I did it is a lot of dating sites have an algorithm, whether it's an app or a dating site, they push you really hard the first couple of weeks. They put you in emails to their users. They really try to put you out there for a couple of weeks and then they stop trying. Mm -hmm. And your site, your post, your profile starts to gather dust. Mm -hmm. So I only learned that in recent years. And so I have started telling my clients, don't do the three-month membership. Yes, yeah, I know I, they charge. I, right. Yeah. I, I know they charge just as much for one month as they do three months. Only do the one month. And then have a list and go down your list and do one month somewhere else. Good. Yeah, that's one of my, that's one of my things that I always – say is that, you know, 
just do do upgrade to Tinder Gold or something for one month because you're telling the universe, I want this quickly. I want this in 30 days. I'm not going to be on these apps for a girl. You, you have to say to yourself, I'm a girl who's not going to be on these apps for years. Mm-hmm. There's only one of me. And when I met all this, all of these things that you write about in your book, I know to be true because I did them myself. And I told my boyfriend on our first date, listen, this is what I want. This is exactly, I want someone to show up in a really big way. And I'm not, I'm done. I'm tired. And I really laid it out for him and a a lot because I was so frustrated. But I think a lot of women are afraid to say what they want, to ask for what they want, because they are, they're afraid. And you can't be afraid. And you have to ask the hard questions like you talk about. And... Tell them you have this script about dating other people, which I, I um, think is, is interesting, too. I think people need to buy the book to, to hear what you have to say, unless you want to just, like, touch upon that. But I have just a few more questions before we end the episode. But do you want to touch about that, that script? Sure. I believe, based on science, I know that women need to date around until a man has proven to them that he matches their must-have standards. And until you know that this man is such a good match that you could wind up spending a lifetime with him based on current information, until you know that and until he has told you that he wants you exclusively without your prompting him to say so, if he's not that enthusiastic about you, you need to be dating around and you need to tell him so. And you need to tell him so for a number of reasons. And one of them is just simply ethical. Look, a lot of people assume right now, men and women, that if you're talking to, to one person, then that's it. You're not dating anybody else. So you need to ethically inform them. Another reason is you're creating the sense of competition. In this case, it's real. I love it. Most people respond better to a little bit of a sense of urgency. They figure their stuff out. You don't want somebody who examines whether there's dirt under his fingernails at his leisure for half a year to determine whether he really wants to date you, even though he's having sex with you already. Who needs that? That's heartbreaking. Instead, show the self-esteem whether or not you feel it. Look, you can be afraid. You can be afraid and you can have low self-esteem and you can succeed at this, but you have to pretend that you're not afraid and you have to pretend you have high self-esteem. And what that looks like is saying something along the lines of, I know a lot of people assume right off the bat that they're dating exclusively. So I just, to be honest, need to let you know that I understand we're still getting to know each other. We're still learning about each other. I am dating other people and I assume that you are too at this early stage. I don't think a lot of people do this. A lot of the things that you do, they're um, they're game changers. You know, they're power plays. They're big moves. And they get, are big moves. They are big moves. And they th- what they do is they keep you from getting anxious. Whether or not you have a secure attachment style, doing it this way keeps you from being the anxious person who is waiting on Friday to find out if you're going out on Friday. It makes it where you can make plans with your girlfriends two weeks in advance and you're not worried about whether that's the only time this guy is going to be available because you know that he cares about you enough to find another chunk of time where he's available. You know he wants to work that out. You know you're a priority and not an option. Don't set yourself aside. Don't reserve all of the wonderfulness that is you, the emotional 
wonderfulness that is you, the sexual wonderfulness that is you. Do not reserve all of your time and your attention and your sexuality for someone who is treating you as a, an option and not a priority. The man who loves you tells you he loves you. He makes you a priority and he shows you from the very beginning that he's going to call when he says he call is going to call, that when you say to him, I really prefer a phone call, that he does it. I said in my ad, I, I didn't write my ad about me. And by the way, I write ads for lots of people and I almost never write the ad about my client. I write the ad about the person my client is seeking. Just yeah. like we don't go online to take a quiz about somebody else's personality. We go online and take quizzes about our own. We're endlessly fascinated by our, ourselves. You want to tap into that when you're writing your dating profile. So, of course, I wrote a dating profile that was about my partner. And I wasn't afraid to be very limiting in that. I said things like never uses drugs and uses alcohol sparingly, if at all. This person is high on life, just like our female lead. I wrote my ad as if I was a star in a, an upcoming movie, and I was looking for my male cast member, co-star. That's so good. That's so good. So and I have a lot of different ways to do this, but you know, at the end of the day, you want to be so clear in your purpose and in conveying that purpose, and yet positive at the same time. Don't say, no druggies, no alcoholics. Yeah. Say things in a positive way, and the person who... First of all, not many people are going to answer your ad, and that's good. Right. You want your ad to be limiting, but the people who answer it should be great. I only talked to about 15 people on the phone. I met four of them for a socially distanced walk, and the person I've been dating for five months is the my, my now partner. He's the only person I met a second time, and that's the kind of clarity and focus that I want for you. And again, if something comes up and it doesn't work out, I'll do the process again because that's what it takes. I love it. I love it. All right. So my last question, because we're going to work. I've told you this is a many. <laughs> I know you have. We have to cut it because you have an, an appointment. But I'm going to listen to this. Go back and listen to this. I'm going to be like, I want to have you on to talk about this at greater lengths. And this, like, this is how I felt when I read your book. Like, my head was like... <laughs> Oh my God, this is all so good. And and people aren't having writing like this. Like I love it. It's amazing. So in wrapping, I want to say, um, you know, again, that beliefs are powerful and people's negative beliefs become our self-fulfilled prophecy. And people you found in your surveys and your science that people feel that if someone else found love, that they were lucky. And you believe that, you know, it's, it's the power of the action. It's the power of how you show up. And finding love is, is a series, a repetitive series of being consistent and enforcing those positive actions. Can you tell me, can you leave us with one important thing science has taught you around finding love? Absolutely. So thank you for all your kind words. It will be my great pleasure to come back and interact with you and your audience again. And I would leave you with the thought that love is not for the lucky and the few. The divorce rate has never gone as high as 50% in the United States, not once. It's never been that high. Currently, the divorce rate is falling for every group except people over the age of 50. And, you know, it, it, for people who are in what's called gray divorce over the age of 50, it seems like some people have grown apart. But the current stay-together rate that looks like lifetime stay-together rate for marriage partners is two-thirds. 
two-thirds of people married since the year 2000 look like they are in it truly for the long haul and they are genuinely happy. You can take charge of this. You can change your actions. You can change your attitude. You can change both. You only need to change one of those. Right. Attitudes or actions. Either one will get you where you're going. I would love to lead you there step by step. Hold your hand every step of the way. But you can do this. I know that you can do it because I see it every day. Awesome. It's true. I see it too. And thank you so much for your kindness and your compassion for others and your research around social science and everything that you're sharing, everything that you learned about finding and keeping love. Where can people find out more about you or follow you on social media or buy your book? Oh, thanks. Such a pleasure to be here. And you can find out all about me by going to lovefactually with an F dot C-O, lovefactually.com. C-O, not .com. And there are links to free stuff. Um, there's a link to get coaching, which leads you to another website, which leads you to all of my podcast links and um, free articles that I've written and places that I've appeared. So just tons of information there. And I also answer every email that I ever receive absolutely for free because I want everyone to get love. We all deserve love in our lives. It is the thing that for adults, forms the springboard that helps us be happier, healthier, and even wealthier. And I want that for all of you. That's so nice. Well, Duana, thank you so much for your time today. And I hope to have you back real soon. Thank you, Carrie. I feel just the same. Oh, thanks. And for now, this week's Tinder Tips. And in honor of our guest, Dr. Duana Welch, these tips are inspired by her. Number one. If you can be and find someone kind and respectful, your love life will go well. Number two, when writing your profile, use words that describe the person you want to meet and date. Number three, be choosy and selective and don't forget to ask the hard questions. Number four, you can find love online quickly. Look at Duena. She used the strategies in her book and found love in less than a week. I hope you found some of my tips helpful this week. This is what Shot at Love is here for, to help you find love. Keep up the commitment to yourself and commit to helping someone else by sharing this podcast. Remember to stay safe and stay tuned for more episodes. I want to thank Beatspot for naming Shot at Love Top 10 in Dating Podcasts. If you like this show, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. I'm Carrie Brett, and we'll see you next time. Oh,